The Gov Innovator Podcast is sponsored by MDRC, committed to finding solutions to some of the most difficult problems facing the nation, from reducing poverty to bolstering economic self-sufficiency to improving public education and college graduation rates. To learn more, visit mdrc.org. Welcome to the Gov Innovator Podcast. I'm Andy Feldman. The topic today is using behavioral insights to attract a diverse police force. Our guest is Elizabeth Linos from UC Berkeley, who co-authored a study on the topic. Here's a clip. That's really, I think, the key finding uh, of this work, that even for something as complicated as police recruitment, even in uh, a time where there are so many factors that are going to influence who thinks of the police as a, as a potential career choice, even in those settings, small differences to your message can make a difference. Attracting a police force from diverse backgrounds is one important step in ensuring that citizens are well served by the police and have trust in the police. But what steps can police departments take that are effective in achieving that goal? The Behavioral Insights team, in conjunction with the What Works Cities initiative, set out to work with more than 20 police departments to build credible evidence on that topic, including running randomized trials to test out different recruiting messages and other steps. To learn more, we're joined by Dr. Elizabeth Linos, who is one of the authors of the report. She's a professor of public policy at the University of California, Berkeley. Elizabeth, thanks for being with us. Welcome. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. I know you've pointed out something that I think is worth underscoring, which is that recruiting a diverse police force isn't a panacea for the challenges we face in terms of the need for police reform or broader racial inequality, Uh, but it is one piece of a much bigger puzzle. Yes, that's right. So um, for quite a few years now, a lot of police departments have been struggling with the reality that they are too white and too male compared to the communities that they're serving. Um, And this is true in law enforcement. It's actually true across the public sector in a lot of key occupations. But certainly in policing, um, I think we've, we've understood over the past few years that having a primarily white police force is actually problematic and is hindering the relationships between uh, police forces and their communities. But I do want to emphasize um, what you've already said, Andy, which is that you know solving the recruitment question or having a more diverse police force won't magically change um, systemic racism or systemic inequalities. It's one of many steps um, that we can think about as we think about how to reform the police. That's useful. There are three main findings to your study, and I'd like to walk through each one. The first one is the importance of tapping into new sources of motivation when doing police recruiting, particularly for minority and women recruits. Tell us what you tested and what you found. So, you know, oftentimes when we think about recruiting people into the public sector, our first instinct is to ask people who are already public servants, you know, why did you join? Why did you enter government? Or, you know, why did you join the police force? And that's going to tell us something about Um, the people who have already decided to devote their life to public service. And for almost 20 years now, at least in the academic literature, we've basically spent most of our recruitment efforts with one message that says, come serve the community, come protect and serve uh, when it comes to law enforcement. And those messages are really about tapping into people's internal desire to make a difference. Now, it's certainly true that for many people who already work in government, the desire to make a difference and to serve is a really important motivator. That's why they joined government in the first place. But what our findings suggest is that there may be other types of motivations that we can tap into in recruitment efforts 
that will bring people to the table or will bring people to apply that may not have considered a career in policing before. And what I mean by that is there are many other parts of a job beyond public service that you can highlight in a job ad and see whether or not it increases people's likelihood of applying for that job or if it taps into some other type of motivation. In practice, what we did is we tried out different types of messages and job ads to see what would be most effective, not only to get new people to apply to the police that would not have applied otherwise, but also to think about the diversity of those new applicants. So can we get more people of color? Can we get more women to apply for, um, for a job with the police? And we tried a bunch of different messages. We've now worked with over 21 jurisdictions across the U.S., and they fit into many different categories. So on the one hand, we looked at other forms of intrinsic motivation. For example, having autonomy, um, feeling like you're challenged every day, feeling like you belong in a work environment. So those are all really about intrinsic motivation. There are also potential motivations on the extrinsic side, things like job security, or feeling like you have a clear path to promotion, or feeling like the salary is good. And what we wanted to see is which of these messages are most effective. In our first test, and this was in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, what we did is we um, sent postcards to people who were registered voters, so who were likely to be eligible to apply for a job with the police department. And all we did is tweak the message on the postcard to highlight a different part of the job. Some people got a more standard public service message that said, come protect and serve. If you're the kind of person who wants to serve your community, you're the kind of person we're looking for. Other people got a message that said, you know what, being a police officer is really challenging. If you're the kind of person who thrives in a challenging environment, you're the kind of person we're looking for. A third group got a message that said, you know, this isn't really just a job. This is a career. If you're interested in a long-term career, you know, we're looking for you. And because this was set up as a pilot, a rigorous evaluation of what works best, we're able to see which message actually led more people to apply to the police. And what we found was really, really interesting. The first surprising finding was that telling people, come serve your community, did no better than not sending a postcard at all. We didn't see any improvement in application if the message was, come serve your community. I don't think that's because people don't care about serving their community. I just think that those people were already applying. So it's not giving them new information about what it's like to be a police officer. Interestingly, the challenge message and the job security message, this career message, tripled the likelihood that someone would apply to the police. And for people of color, it was four times as effective at getting people to apply to the police. So just by changing the words on the postcard, the message, we had this significant difference in who was motivated to take that first step and apply to be a police officer. We then tested that message as well as other messages in a lot of other jurisdictions. So we're still learning what works best in different communities but it certainly suggests that there's a lot more that we can tap into in terms of sources of motivation. Two quick thoughts come to mind before we go on to the next finding. One is that it would have been really tough to guess in advance which one of these messages resonated the most. That's the power of testing. And the second is they did this all for very low cost because they were already doing recruitment messages, these police departments, but they built in an evaluation into that to learn what works. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's exactly right. And One thing that I've learned by doing these kind of randomized trials in a lot of different places and across a lot of different settings is that, you know, what works in one place might not work in another. So it's very important for departments to be testing in their own communities. But, you know, more importantly, if we start thinking about testing as part of the process of learning what works, it doesn't have to be this extra thing that people do on the side. It doesn't have to, you know, have a separate data team or evidence team. You can build A-B testing of this 
kind into Facebook ads and into emails that you're sending out and into postcards that you're already sending out. And so the cost is minimal to zero because you're just changing words on a page. But the benefit can be huge um, if you're tapping into new communities of people that you might not have had access to before. That's well said. Turning to the second finding of the report, Elizabeth, it was that process matters. In other words, the recruitment process matters. Tell us more about that. Sure. You know, when we think about why someone applies for a job, we often think of it as a one-time decision. But in reality, in policing and in a lot of public sector environments, the process of getting a job uh, can take months, sometimes more than a year. And there are various stages to that process. You have to apply, you have to fill in forms, you have to submit those forms. In policing, you have to often do written tests and physical tests. It's a long process. And at each stage in that process, people drop out. Sometimes very talented people drop out. And so one thing that we've been working with a lot of police departments is how can we improve the administrative burdens of that process? There's a fine balance between what the HR department needs and what candidates need in terms of these processes. But we've certainly found that under different conditions, you can uh, reduce dropouts at the various kind of subsequent stages after application. It makes me think of the EAST framework from the Behavioral Insights team, E-A-S-T, the acronym, where E is make it easy. And in this case, you might have talented candidates applying to multiple jobs. The recruitment process that's the easiest may be the job they end up in. Yes, that's exactly right. And I should add, you know, there's this this belief that, you know, if they really wanted the job, they'd stick to it. I don't think that's fair anymore in today's job market. If you have to wait a year to get a job, it isn't just a matter of wanting the job enough. If we can make the process simpler for people, we may be getting candidates from more diverse backgrounds who maybe couldn't afford to wait a year to get a new job. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. The final finding of the study was that your next recruit may not be where you're looking. And this is about how to target outreach. What did the study find? Sure. Um, You know, one thing that a lot of police departments have done, a lot of private sector companies have done, is thought about recruitment um, through the networks of their existing employees. So one type of recruitment effort involves referral programs. So I will, you know, either financially incentivize or, or, you know, I will pay an existing employee some sort of bonus if they bring in someone from their network through a referral program and they apply and get into the police. Now, those programs exist. In certain types of companies, they've been shown to be effective. But one of the challenges that, that I see in those types of programs is that they're really leaning on the existing network of employees. So if your current employees aren't particularly diverse, chances are their networks are also not particularly diverse. So looking for your next recruit within the network of people who are already kind of involved in policing might exacerbate the challenges in diversity of the workforce. A final question for you, Elizabeth, which is that for cities and police departments that weren't part of your study, am I right that it's still important to keep testing what works? It's not like we know enough from these 20 plus cities to plug and play uh, recruitment strategies. This report is really foundational evidence that police departments can use to guide their own research about what works, including running these types of behaviorally informed A-B tests, these randomized trials, in other words, in their own communities. Is that right? I think that's fair. Um, one thing to, to highlight, this is true in, in all public sector research, but it is certainly true now more than ever in policing, is that things are changing quite rapidly. And the reputation of a police force can change overnight. 
the institution surrounding a police force can change overnight. And so even if we did know that something worked in 2017 or 2018, it's not clear it's going to work today. Similarly, something that worked in Chattanooga or Scottsdale or, you know, in some other city might not work in a specific community that has a specific relationship with their police department. That's not to say this, you know, this is futile. The main kind of lesson that I would like your listeners to take away is that testing is not actually as complicated or as costly as it used to be in the past. And so incorporating this approach to say, let's, let's assume we don't actually know what motivates people because humans are complicated. Let's test our messages and let's rigorously evaluate what works before we roll out. That's really, I think, the key finding uh, of this work, that even for something as complicated as police recruitment, even in uh, a time where there are so many factors that are going to influence who thinks of the police as a, as a potential career choice, even in those settings, small differences to your message can make a difference. And so to me, it's, it's kind of an optimistic message about our ability to reform recruitment and hopefully over time, using the same strategies, uh, reform other parts of the police as well. The report by the Behavioral Insights team is called Insights for Building the Police Force of Tomorrow. My thanks to Dr. Elizabeth Linos and to her co-authors, Dr. Joanna Weil, Siddharth Mandava, Cecily Wallman-Stokes, and Jacob Appel. Elizabeth, thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Andy.